Happy New Year and welcome to Transmissions Alt Mode, where we talk all comics and media related to the Transformers. In this week's show, we've got an interview that Daryl conducted with legendary comics writer and editor Jim Shooter. Shooter was editor-in-chief of Marvel at the time that Hasbro came to them looking for a partner to create the Transformers comics and cartoon. Enjoy this trip down memory lane. Welcome to a special interview on uh, transmissions with Mr. Jim Shooter. Uh, we are here at uh, London Comic Con, and uh, I am I'm honored to be able to talk to you here. Thank you. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I wanted to just really get into it really quickly here. Um, you uh, you had a really big role in 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 getting the the, the Transformers, uh, you know, as a as a brand into the into the, the comics at uh, at Marvel. And uh, what do you what do you remember about about getting that uh, that license uh, uh, with uh, with Marvel at the it wasn't, it wasn't exactly a license and and what, the way it happened was um, we had done GI Joe with Hasbro and the way that happened was the president of Marvel uh, and the uh, president of uh, Hasbro Erwin uh, Hasenfeld they met at some charity event they're talking to each other and, and Hasenfeld said that they were trying to re- restart some of the old brands and they weren't exactly sure how they were going to do it especially GI Joe and so the president of my company said, well, you should let us do that for you. We, we have nothing but geniuses. He told me, they quoted himself to me later. I, I reported to the president. I was the editor-in-chief, vice president. And uh, uh, So anyway, a meeting was arranged. We met with Hasbro. Uh, I gave them some foundation for what we might do. Um, they loved it. And so we had a, a, it wasn't a license, it was a deal where we did the comics and animation. Uh, they did the toys and the licensing. And uh, and so I, I I turned the project over to Larry Hama, who was one of my editors, and uh, ex-military explosive ordnance expert, military uh, historian. Okay, you and can he, tell. And he yeah. killed it. Yeah. <laughs> he just he took from the little foundation I gave him. He took it and, and ran. Um, all right, so that was such a success that uh, uh, they loved us. And and so the next time they had something. One of their executives, a guy named Bob Krupas, walks into my office. He has a shopping bag. He takes his car out of it, puts it on my desk. And I said, well, that's cool, you know. And he goes, watch. Flip, 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 flip. It's a robot. Flip, 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 flip. It's a car. I said, that's, that's wild. Why does it do that? And he said, that's what I'm here to find out. Okay. So they had licensed the tech technology from Japan, from some company in Japan. And but the Japanese really didn't have a lot of backstory, yeah. or, or, or there, there weren't any English names for the characters or anything. So I did the same thing. I wrote the sort of foundation story, uh, Cybertron and the Wookiees and all, all that, you know, and uh, the war between the robots and all. And um, then I turned it over to this genius editor I had named Bob Budiansky. It was similar to Larry, he could he could write, he could draw. He was a great editor. He he, he had multi talented guy. And he took it and ran, and he named all the characters, you know, we'll call this Black, Yellow, and Bumblebee, you know, and uh, thought up their their personalities and and their powers, to to find their powers and stuff. And it just did wonderful things. Mm -hmm. And just like Larry, he created characters, like, I think, Circuit Breaker and some others. Yeah, got a couple uh, in there for uh, for specifically to to stick with Marvel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and they used them. So... uh, so we, you know, we had a 
successful history with with Hasbro, and that's that's how it, it came about. The same kind of deal. Yeah. We did the animation, the comics. They did the toys and the license. Now, before we we move on from that, um, there was a uh, a short pit stop before you got to to Bob um, with with Denny O'Neill. Right, because I, I I have talked to Denny, uh, you know, yeah, prior, yeah. Uh, and, and he had mentioned we there is a, a funny anecdote that he told me when when I was able to talk to him. Um, you know, unfortunately, he has passed since then. Yeah. Um, but uh, he he had mentioned that you had met you had asked him to do this Transformers book, and and I'm going to paraphrase here, but he told me that you gave him a piece. He gave you a piece of paper where he had written squeak 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 500 times on it, and. And uh, and and that uh, and then he he went on to write his version of Transformers, which uh, he said, uh, quoting, I he said you really disliked. Yes. <laughs> well, I I don't know about the squeak 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 part, but um, see, because that was successful. Right. Um, uh, we I thought well this this is uh, something you know I, I, Larry. Um, he, he was well paid, but yeah. but I thought we ought to start paying people to write these developments. Right, not me. I do it for free. I was better cheap. Sure, but, but uh, so we had a couple other small developments and some film stuff, and I start worked out a budget and was paying people, mm-hmm. and so it was kind of Denny's turn. You sure, know? I mean because people like this. It was it was interesting and fun work, and it, it wasn't a great huge amount of work, and yeah. it paid very well. So. Various creative people uh, that work for me, um, editors and, and, and a few of the freelance people, I would hire them to do these development things. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of Denny's turn. Yeah. And Denny uh, admitted that he had a disdain for toys. Somehow he thought it was more dignified to write Batman or Daredevil sure. than to write about a toy. You know? Right. Okay. Um, but... Um, so we had a little meeting, and I, I kind of—he he really wasn't into it, but he was into having the, the paycheck. Sure, of course. And, uh, yeah. Um, and so I, I, I helped him. I, I, I fed him his lines. I said, "I said, well, how about something like this or that?" And so he did, and he really—his heart wasn't in it. You know, he just wasn't. So I, I read it, and it just—it just was not. Good. I, I said I can't give this to Hasbro, and I, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. So I'd already paid him, and I would have anyway. But uh, um, so there's no more money in the budget. Yeah. So I did it myself. Right. You know, and and uh, uh, so and then and I, I wrote this treatment. The Hasbro people really liked it, and uh, like I said, turned it over to Bob Budiansky, mm-hmm. who did care about it. He did a, he did a fine job. He did an amazing yeah, job. He did a very good job. <clears throat> He's really a brilliant guy. The, um, the, the story that we keep hearing in the, in the, the community is that early on in those days, um, the artists that would come onto the book, uh, they were all used to drawing humans. Nobody really knew how to draw these these robots, so you know you could tell that the, any interaction with human characters, the humans looked fantastic because they all were doing superheroes and whatnot. These robots just looked horrendous, just because they just couldn't get the proportions and anything like that doing. So none of them really enjoyed drawing the humans or the robots. Um, they they always really they always gravitated to these these human characters because they could do them better. So Frank Springer and Don Perlin and you know some of those you know the earlier guys yeah. you know those the the art kind of kind of suffered in those early books. They, 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 they struggled with they, it. They did. It was, I mean, these are tough. great artists you just named. Fantastic. But, but they struggled with it. 
And because the robots are, you have to use templates of a lot of world lines and stuff like that. They take forever. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, but but there were people who actually were, they liked that. They liked doing mechanical things. Herb Trimpey, for one. Right. Yeah. And uh, I don't remember who else we had on Transformers, but but we found people who, who actually got a kick out of it, mm-hmm. drawing the robots. Yeah. And, and, uh, and that was that was fine. I mean, it, was, it was a tough thing. It's just like G.I. Joe. I mean, Larry Palma on G.I. Joe was very um, insistent on everything being correct. The weapons had to be correct. The, the, the vehicles had to be correct. Now, when you're doing a vehicle, it's based on one of Hasbro's toys. Sometimes it... You know, it, it wasn't as you got to exaggerate a little bit. Yeah, it was yeah. exaggerated. <laughs> but but uh, uh, but if anything was real military equipment, he wanted it right. Mm-hmm. So you know, I mean, anybody, any cartoonist at Marvel, they were familiar with the comics. They could sit down and draw an issue of Daredevil, probably no problem, sure. right away. Yeah. With with GI Joe, you had to you know do your research first, and with Transformers, you had to have your templates and rulers handy. Yeah. So, so they were tricky, but I'll tell you, they were good and they sold like crazy and and. It was just big success, and I had so many people told me GI Joe was my first, yeah. my first comic book, or, or Transformers was my first comic book. The, um, from what I understand, I know an artist that's been working on the current GI Joe with IDW, and from from what he's told me, uh, Larry Hama is still to this day yes. the exact same. Person. Oh yeah, yeah. So I, I see Larry all the time, <laughs> yeah. and he, he at conventions, and he's he's just a great guy, and he's yeah. he's a, an amazing man, mm-hmm. and uh, and but Larry. Uh, we had a really good crew, and and most of most of the people there, a few cranky but cranky guys, but mostly they were really into it, and thrilled to do it. Last time I saw, one of the last times I saw Larry, uh, we were talking about the old days, and he's not one to, you know, talk about you know, personal feelings and stuff, you know. But he, he he said to me, he said, I just couldn't wait to get to work every day, and that's, a, oh, that's I know great. exactly how he felt. Yeah. And, and so, you know, there was a lot of passion put into these things. And, and I said, if we care about it, maybe someone else will. Mm-hmm. Now, from going, moving in from away from Transformers, because, I mean, we're a Transformers <clears throat> podcast. I like to talk about that a lot. But, you know, you, you've done a lot more than just, uh, you know, start a Transformers comic with Marvel. You, you've, uh, you've been in the comics industry for a very long time. 58 and years. It's, you, know, f- you know, famously, you, you started off when you were 13, 14 years old. 13. 13. And uh, when you uh, sent in the, uh, the script for, uh, which is called uh, One of Us is a Traitor for uh, Venture Comics number 346, which was, you said, you corrected me yesterday when you said that was the first one published, but the second one written. Yes. Right? So that, uh, what compelled you to write that story? And then really for me, where did you get the balls to send that in? <laughs> well, it was desperate need for money. I mean, I, you know, I, my family was struggling and, uh, if you're 13 years old, they're not going to hire you at the local factory, you know, Right. and doing, and delivering newspapers didn't cut it. So, uh, so I was trying to think of what can I do, and I, I knew I was too young to get hired anywhere. Uh, so I thought, well, I've got to make something and sell it. Okay. And I love comics, sure. and it occurred to me somebody must get paid for creating these things, for writing and drawing and so forth. And so I, I actually spent a good bit of time studying comics, the ones I liked, the ones I didn't like. I tried to figure out why why do I like this one or I don't like this one, you know, and tried to figure out what they. What the mo was, I mean, and uh, also I, I realized that the uh, the regular comics they didn't do radical changes every issue. It was you know Superman was 
pretty steady and and they might evolve over time but but they didn't so I, I made it a point not to make any radical changes in my first couple of stories or, or anything like that so I, I, I found out like what mistakes to avoid and, and, and what I thought they would be that they like mm-hmm. and I picked DC because I thought I couldn't compete with Stan you know I, I can't yeah. write as well as Stan but I thought DC had some some characters that that um, they weren't reaching their potential. I, I thought the Legion of Superheroes this should be great, mm-hmm. and it's not. You know, the covers are always nice, but the you know the stories aren't as good. So I thought that's well, that's when I'll do it. And I so I sent in uh, the first one, uh, which is published. It was number three forty eight. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got a letter from the editor saying, um, "Well, this is you're, this is interesting. You might have a future doing this." Um, uh, why don't you send us another one? So I sent him a two-part story, two-issue story. It's the first deviation from the norm I ever did, um, you know, because usually it was all one-issue stories back then. But I, I got daring, and because I knew Marvel did two-issue stories sometimes, and I, I thought, all right, I'm gonna, you know, throw everything I have at it. And uh, and that's when he called me up and he said he wanted to buy those three, mm-hmm. and he started started giving me assignments. And I worked my way through high school, and it, it helped the family. Um, and I, I don't understand why they published them out of order, but whatever. You know, they, they published them. They did a lot of um, one-shot stories. I mean, mostly everything was one-shot stories at the yeah. time. So, you know, being out of order, uh, other than your two-parter, you know, it, it would have. It didn't matter, no. right? Back in those days, you could read any DC comic series in any order. You could read a hundred Superman stories in any order. Didn't matter. <laughs> Whereas at Marvel, they had continuity. Right. And in my Legion stuff, uh, I asked. I asked my editor. I said, I said, what about continuity? Continuities, we don't do that. And I, 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 I so anyway, but I had the only series, the Legion of Superheroes, that was my regular book. I did yep. other books too, but I did that every month for five years. And I realized that this is set a thousand years in the future. It's the only book that's set a thousand years in the future. I own the future, you know. And so if I do my own con, if I did started trying to do continuity in the issues of Superman I wrote, well, someone else is going to write an issue, and they don't want to be burdened with my continuity. So, but I was the only one writing Legion, and it was set in the future. So I thought I'd do my own continuity, and I did it. And the editor knew I was doing it, but I guess he reasoned the same way I did. You know, sure. well, why not? Why not? And and uh, so I did continuity, and it, it worked. I think a lot of people seem to like that. You know, yeah, yeah. introduce characters, and then they turn up later. I introduced Shadow Lass in the Hall of Fallen Heroes, mm-hmm. and then <clears throat> couple couple issues later, I had her join the Legion. And so people say, that's the character who's going to die. <laughs> you could yeah. follow the story. Yeah, and, and they had, so, you know, you could put little Easter eggs like that and stuff, and it was great. It was fun. The, um, moving into uh, your time at uh, Marvel as editor-in-chief, you you created the Secret Wars crossover event, which was the major, the big first crossover event for every, uh, every yeah. line, um, which inadvertently made you the father of modern comics, I think. Because every single year now, now, at least once, everything crosses over. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, I, well, it's sold so well. Everybody says, "Oh, well, let's do that again." You know, yeah, and again, and again, yeah. And uh, so, 
I will say this for me though. I mean, we were I had a really good crew and we worked really hard. And I said, I don't want this just to be some story set off to the side that has nothing to do with the continuity. I want it to be part of the Marvel universe, an important and you know part of Marvel history. And so we we made we took great pains to make sure that when Spider-Man leaves in a red and blue costume and he comes back in a black costume and Secret Wars tells the story of how that came to be, you know, I wanted to make sure that the guys picked up on everything that I left them. So I had to plan it all out way in advance. And every, uh, I, most other companies, they just didn't want to work that hard, you know, and, and they just had a bunch of characters off to the side and did, did a, a story. Yeah. Um, and also, I tried to do it a different way every time. The first one, Secret Wars fell between our December issues and our January issues. The 12 issues of Secret Wars took place in those, between those two months. Um, and then when I did it the second time, I did it contemporaneously with the regular issues. And I had the story sort of branch into some of the other titles. And uh, uh, and then when I did it at Valiant, the, the crossover took place within the regular books. And, uh, and then uh, uh, we had, uh, I was going to do it a different way every time. But I think uh, a couple of things stuck around with the industry, which is, is the company-wide crossover and crossing with other companies, and also um, the branching thing. Yeah, because DC did that right away. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think it was a good idea. It was DC. a great idea. If only you had, uh, at the same time, created, uh, like, it, it, uh, implementing 15 different variant covers for every issue, you'd have been you'd have been way ahead of your time. I, You know, I kind of, not me, but Marvel kind of started the variant thing. I had uh, Peter Parker getting married to Mary Jane. Stan and I cooked that up together. And um, so it was a big debate in the office, a bunch of us sitting around debating this. Like, should it be Peter Parker uh, and Mary Jane in her wedding dress and maybe Aunt May and Jonah Jameson and other civilians standing in the background? Or should it be Spider-Man and Mary Jane in her wedding dress and supervillains and superheroes in the background? So we're all debating this. And finally, Jim Salakup, one of my editors, another really brilliant guy, mm-hmm. he said, uh, he said, well, let's do one of each. He said, let's do both. You know, and I said, you can do that? And he said, well, TV Guide does it. It must be okay. <laughs> and I said, well, if TV Guide does it, I guess it's legit. Okay, fine. So we did two. With the one, the direct market version had uh, Peter Parker. And the newsstand version had Spider-Man. Because they figured kids on the newsstand probably looked for Spider-Man, right? Sure. Because there's some younger readers on, uh, at the, who buy newsstand books. Anyway... So that worked, and of course, then people said, "Well, but, but now we have to buy two of them." And I'm like, hmm, "Oh, okay." <laughs> you know? Oh, that's a problem. Well, <laughs> yeah, I guess that is a problem. But I mean, I didn't feel too bad about it because no. we didn't do it all the time. We didn't yeah. do it again ever that I, while I was around. And then later, people realized, "Yes, you can make people buy two of these." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they started doing 15 variants. Right. I never would have done that when I was at Valiant. And everybody was going variant crazy. We didn't do variants. Yeah. We did some giveaway. Uh, versions to retailers yeah. but that we didn't we made no money on them we just uh, did some you know some like when I did the black uh, cover all black cover yep. Dr. Solar books yes. they were all all black cover it yes. wasn't a very yeah. You know. yeah the um with regards to um like uh, Secret Wars and stuff like that, a lot of your stories are getting picked up in the uh, the MCU now the, yeah. the movies uh Big, big, huge crossover events like that. 
Um, can they? Can they even? Can you fathom them doing that justice? In, 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 I don't in know. They're they're going to do Secret Wars. Yeah. Uh, they announced it. It's going to be 2025, and um, they say it's going to be based on the 2015 remake right. of Secret Wars more than on my 1984 original. Right. Yeah. However, they're using some of the same things I created back then, like the Beyonder and, yeah. and so forth. So it's got to have some. You know, there have to be some uh, things from my original series that will carry over. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, you know, I, I think the Marvel movies have, have really been pretty good. Mm-hmm. And with there was some little better than others, but but uh, most of them have been pretty good. And uh, I think they they know what they're doing. So mm-hmm. I have high hopes that they'll do it right. Mm-hmm. Now, as a Canadian, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about Alpha Flight. Okay. The uh, first appearing in X Men uh, 120 yep. from 1979, and then going on to getting their own title in 1983. Uh, was it uh, essentially just based off of uh, the success of the of X Men at the time, or did you just let kind of John Byrne, being you know Canadian based at the time, kind of go nuts and say, "Look, X Men's doing well. Uh, you know, have a have a team based in Canada, and you know, kind of go nuts." Where did uh, where did you get the impetus for Alpha well, Flight? Because it did well, really it was, well. Yeah, it, it was in the X Men when Claremont and Byrne were doing the X Men together. Uh, they introduced Alpha Flight. A lot of that was John's creation, and um, uh, but it, and it was good. It was great. And and then uh, later when John left the X Men, um, I don't remember exactly what he was doing at first, but he he uh, he asked me if, he could, if we could do a, an Alpha Flight book. I said, yeah, I think that'll be a good idea. You know, it's the characters are good. You know, and it's a it's a it was introduced in the X Men. People asked about it. You know, so uh, I had a pretty free hand in those days. So I, I, I was able to pretty much do whatever I wanted, publishing wise. And uh, so we uh, we, we you know, put it on the schedule, and, and John did it for a while. And he wanted to do other things. Uh, somebody else did it. Um, but uh, uh, you know, it went. It was. It went well for a while, and we introduced uh, some interesting characters in there. And it's uh, you know, it, it's an essential part of the Marvel mm-hmm. history, and they did a good job on it. Yeah, yeah. And John, we had a, a program where uh, a, a benefit that where um, if you created a title, right. That and you did I don't know three issues of it or something. That ever thereafter you would get a one percent royalty. Really? On that title? Oh wow! And and if you created a character, you, you filled out a little form. It's called the a, a new character uh, character creation memo or something. And um, and then after that you would get a percentage of the adjusted gross of the licensing revenues wow. of that character. So John did pretty good on that. I, I assume he did pretty well. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 awesome. Um, now, I want to move into just like the current state of the comic book industry because obviously you've been around, uh, you know, in it for quite some time, and and it's changed a lot over the years. Yeah. Um, when you go into, uh, you know, into maybe a comic book store and you see a, you know, a, a new release wall or something like that, um, can you recognize, you know, the, the books on the shelf anymore? Is it is, is it even resemble, you know, a, a, a comic book store? Yeah, some of them. I mean, obviously, you know. I mean, and uh, uh, I, I don't. 
uh, buy a lot of comics these days, but but uh, my friends who read comics a lot, they'll say, oh, you should you should read this or don't read this. Yeah. <laughs> don't bother with this one. Yeah. You know, and sometimes they'll send me things or whatever, and. Um, and I do go to I go to a lot of shows. So occasionally I pick up comics, but I'm, I'm really looking more at the indies, yeah. small, smaller companies now, um, and, and Image too. Image is sort of emerging as uh, a force. They got some it's it, really strong. interesting yeah. stuff. That Saga book they published, wow. Mm -hmm. um, so so anyway, uh, I look at the, some some books. Um, I mean, for instance, the Miles Morales uh, Spider-Man Origin. Mm -hmm. story. Uh, several people said we should read this. I did. I gave up on about issue four when he still wasn't in his costume. Yet. Okay. Yeah. You know, but um, uh, anyway, no, I, I, I check things out once in a while. I even did some reviews on my blog of okay. things like the new 52 and Miles Morales and all that. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to get back to the blog one of these days soon. Uh, and I might do do therefore start buying yeah. more comics <laughs> to review now where do you see the industry going in say five to ten years i think that uh, the movies who knows i mean maybe that will that trend will end or maybe it'll keep going and if they keep doing it well it might you know continue um to be, you know, prosperous and, and, and do well. The publishing right now is is, is, is a disaster. It's yeah. it's. Uh, I mean, the sales are ridiculously low. The prices are way too high. It's it's just and also uh, everybody who comes over here says, "Well, these used to be good. Now, you know, we, we don't even like to read them." I'm like, well, that's nice. You're standing at my table, so of course you're going to say that. Right. But but um, I think I think it's. it's true to some extent. I mean, I think that they stopped doing just entertainment and and they started um, Marvel did a lot of social justice warrior stuff. Yeah. Fine. But if you do it ham-handedly, it becomes propaganda. Sure. And nobody wants to be propaganda even if you agree with every word in it. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want it, to... It's a lecture. <laughs> and so, uh, so they've kind of drifted off there and they're not really concentrating on entertainment. And I think DC, they, they, they You've gotten kind of into cheesecake. I mean, you know, it's the sirens of Gotham, and the right. birds of prey, and and uh, uh, black cat and all that. I, I just, I think, like, hey guys, how about a good story? Tell a good story and tell it well. You know, um, like I used to talk to my guys. They care about it. They could mean something. You yeah. know, make people when they finish that book say, "Boy, I'm glad I bought this." You know, and um, and I had the my people. Like Louise Simonson, you know, yeah. and and Carl Potts, and they they came at it with passion, and, and it showed. I'm I'm not seeing the passion right now. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a, there's a bit of a of a shift happening, and it's it's unfortunate. There's there are some good stories out oh, there. Oh no, but there's I think, no, there's a lot of yeah. tremendously talented yeah. people, and yeah. there's some very good things. It's just that you can't have a few good things, yeah. and then expect people to buy the rest. Yeah. In fact, I mean, Marvel to some extent is kind of trying to do that. They say, well, you can have this one if you buy these other ones. Right. And, and they force you to buy stuff that you can't sell. You know, and uh, that's not good. I mean, why not just make good stories that people want to buy? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, yeah. and I and I think you're right with the independent stuff. Yeah. They're, the people that are that are putting the books into independent in independent companies are there. That's where the passion is right now. Yeah. Because yep. they're the ones that are, are really they're the struggling ones trying to get stuff made. Yeah, yeah. The the passion is there. The, the, what is lacking with a lot of these guys, although they may be very talented, is uh, training. You know, yes. they haven't been taught, and so yeah. they're they're feeling their way along. And some of them are doing fine, but yeah. But uh, so uh, I'm. Uh, I try to help when I can. Sure. You know, and yeah. and uh, tell them not what I think, but all the things that I was taught by the greats that I worked with, Stan and Jack and Steve and uh, Kurt Swan and Wally Wood and all those people. I listened to every word they said, and I wrote a lot of it down. Of course. And, and uh, you know, and so I, I have the wisdom of the ancients, you know, to pass along. Uh, nothing I invented. Just Your duty. What I was yeah, exactly. Of course it is. <laughs> I mean, Will Eisner did it, you know. Yeah. Stan did it. Jack did it. I'm trying to, you know, like pass along what I learned from them. The um, the last question I have for you, the uh, uh, we're in an age right now where uh, digital comics exist alongside physical comics. Um, we were at when they first uh, started making their way into the industry. Uh, there was a real sense of, of dread for brick and mortar stores um, do you still see that do you still see, is there is there still a uh, a place for the brick and mortar stores do you see a digital uh, a world where comics only exist in digital uh, you know in the future I guess it's possible I don't know I know that the, the, the what the core business is is storytelling storytelling tell a good story tell it well that's a way to succeed and it's been that way for the last 40,000 years and it's going to be that way for the next 40 so, you know, if it takes a different format or something, I'm okay with that. I, however, have a great deal of faith in print media. You know, I know there's, they always say, oh, they're selling fewer books and people aren't reading and, and uh, the kids can't read anymore and stuff like that. Yeah, but, but you know, if something good comes along, <clears throat> when Jurassic Park comes along, everybody buys it, you know, or, or uh, uh, whatever. Uh, anyway... I mean, you know, I think that the market is there for, for stories and for, for um, tell a good story. And I think that the print media stuff has advantages that the digital doesn't. Uh, one thing, I mean, people like the physical mm-hmm. product. It's collectible. It's 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 uh, something that you you uh, you can put things into that that you couldn't do uh, digitally. And that's what I would do if I were doing digital comics. I would do digital comics that were made for digital, and then I would do print media comics that had extra things in them that you couldn't get online. And, right. and also, I mean, so many people you're reading on our device with a screen that's shaped roughly like that. Yeah. Okay. And so, um, most of the places, the artists are drawing these slanty panels and, and these, these you know crazy shapes and stuff. And so, when you're trying to read it online, you're scrolling around because there's a edge of one panel filtering yeah, right. into this panel, yeah. and there's an inset, and there's you know, this is how you do digital comics. Okay. You make the panels like that. 
to movie screen. Right. They don't change the size of the, or shape of the screen when you go to the movies. Yeah. You can do everything you need to do in this size. You can even divide it in two if you sure. want and have two panels. And then you go like this. Flip, flip, flip. 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 Yeah. That's how to do it. Yeah. So it's easy to read yeah. and it fits the screen. Mm-hmm. And and then, and then you know, like I say, you can do in print media, you can do all kinds of tricky things that wouldn't work on that yeah. very well. So I, I think there's a future for both. I mean, as, as always, it depends on, you know, how they do it and how well they do it and, and how smart they are about it. Um, but um, uh, I, I have faith in, in this, this medium. I think this is an iconic medium. It's, it's the only visual medium that's eyes only, requires focus. Uh, it, 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 it involves you. You're involved in the, in the story. You have to do the in-betweens yourself. It's, I, I, I don't know. Love this meeting. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Shooter. I have uh, enjoyed this time. I, I'm, I'm, it's just it's an honor to have you here in London. Thanks, sir. And, uh, yeah, it, thank you uh, for, for listening. Um, it's Jim Shooter, everybody. Thanks a lot. Thanks. But then, after the mic was off, a question about a costume. And, uh, I that take over. Yeah. <laughs> and I remembered something this morning as I was getting ready about uh, the uh, the black costume because it was uh, the story is that you bought it from Randy Schuler for 20, 220 bucks. No, I didn't buy it. From <laughs> I didn't have. I didn't need his permission to do a black costume. I, I what what happened was he wrote a, a plot for a Fantastic Four story. Okay. And he was trying to get it, you know, to be a writer. Yeah. And he was. A, I think it was a kid at that time. You know, it wasn't. I mean, the story was whack. It was. It was all over the place. And all this random stuff happens. Among the random things that happens, Spider-Man happens by the Fantastic Four building. I don't know. Okay. And Reed Richards gives him the quote of black costume. That was the entire description. Okay. Uh, you know. <laughs> I read that. I, so I read this. Suit. I read this. Uh, yeah. This. this uh, and, uh, I read this thing. And it, I thought, you know, if you crawl around on the roof, like, wouldn't you wear black? You know? And I, uh, I, so I, I didn't want to get, I didn't want black costume to come in. But I didn't want him to feel bad. So I called him up. I said, look, I'm going to get ready for that. I said, but I'll buy this black. Yeah. Because uh, I, I intend to do a black costume, so I don't want to do it. Uh, yeah. 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 And so, so I used to it. Yeah. Sure. I don't know how much it was. He says that was what it was. I believe. Sure. But uh, 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 anyway, uh, so we bought it. He was happy. I think even uh, he's talking about the, you know. Uh, I talked to him and asked him and I told him something and he said, you know, if you want to try again, I'll read the story. He, he's good. He wasn't, he wasn't good. Yeah. And, um, uh, so anyway, then, you know, I threw in my drawer. I sat there for a year and just put the, the card was a black card. And, and, uh, so there was no drawing? There was, no, no. He there didn't come. No, it was just no, a, there was yeah. no drawing. Yeah. It was two words. Yeah. Black card. <laughs> And, and so, uh, uh, he says the internet has ruined us. He said he designed it, but he used a drawing by, by Mike Zek to illustrate yeah. his design. Yeah. 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 No. Mike Zek designed it. The thing is, I, I threw him for I didn't want to force it. I didn't want to micro-manage all this stuff. Yeah. I wanted to have the editors and writers to have the, you know, 
to be prepared. You know, and, and I would make sure they were entirely prepared to screw it up. But uh, so uh, I wasn't waiting for that. So I, I was probably well just sitting there someday maybe. Uh, then when I was doing Secret Wars, I was like, I and I told the writer, I had a little Secret Wars planned out. And I showed everybody, and I told the Spider-Man guys coming back, and they're like, what do you want to do with that? You know? I said, anything? And they took it from there. Um, I called Mike Zeppelin and said, uh, I need you to design a black box in this lemon. That's what he wants. I said, you're my sex. So you know. <laughs> he said, uh, he said, he said, well, you want me to show you a sketch? He said, no. You're really great. Just do it. You know? So he made exactly one design. That's what that's what the Tom McFalco was editing. I always had somebody, even when I was writing this box, I always had somebody to like check out. And so Tom <coughs> realized that Mike had just gone front. And so he asked Rick and Marty to do what they called the turnaround front yep. there. And, um, and so Rick did it. And he did it exactly the way Zach wanted it. But he, but Lee and Artie was the one who did that wrong. I asked him, I said, I said, did you talk to him? Did you get it right? He said, oh, yeah, he nailed it. And uh, uh, so some people think Rick Reed, some people think Ron Fringe did. That's why he took the two of the first books of us. No, Mike Zach created it eight months earlier. And designed it and so it's there for everybody to use. But that's the whole, the whole thing with the black caution. And I, Randy's been dining out on that for a while. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. He did not design it. He didn't for you. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I, yeah, I, this is funny. I, whatever. It's, it's one of those internet kind of yeah. things that's kind of gotten away. Yeah, you know, whatever. <laughs> funny. Oh, I'll let you get your table going here. This was awesome. This was a pleasure, sir. Thank you for listening to this episode of Transmissions. If you'd like to join the conversation, travel to our Discord channel at transmissionspodcast.com slash Discord. Want some cool transmission swag? Feast your eyes on our transmissions gear at transmissionspodcast.com slash shop. If you'd like to support our podcast, go to transmissionspodcast.com slash support or tell your friends about our show. We'll see you next time.